you desire to parent your children in a biblical way but wonder what that looks like for a child with special needs? Could you use some practical wisdom and encouragement from a mama who truly understands your unique challenges? Then we are so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. If you enjoy this podcast and find it encouraging, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us by making a monthly or even a one-time donation? Whether it's a dollar a month or $20 a month, your support truly helps to sustain this podcast and keep it on the air. If you feel led to partner with us, please just go to gingerhubbard.com support to donate any amount. And thank you listeners for your support, which enables us to further our mission to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God. Long before my husband and I had kids of our own, I knew I wanted to be a homeschooling mom. But when my oldest was ready to start kindergarten, I had just had our third child, who we affectionately referred to as the baby monster. Homeschooling didn't seem possible with a kindergartner, a toddler, and a baby monster. I was so thankful that a friend introduced me to BJU Press. Their all-in-one curriculum resources gave me the confidence to homeschool at a time when it didn't seem possible. Their video lessons that, by the way, are engaging and taught by experienced teachers, those videos were a time and a sanity saver for me. Best of all, their K-5 through grade 12 all-in-one curriculum options are rooted in a solid biblical worldview. To learn more about BJU Press, go to bjupresshomeschool.com and see what they have to offer. You'll find their parent-led resources as well as independent learning materials at bjupresshomeschool.com. And tell them the baby monster sent you. Well, Ginger, we're back with our dear friend, Sonia Schaefer. We had a wonderful conversation with Sonia last December when she talked about speaking blessings to our children. That was episode 49 for those who missed it. And I will say it is in our top 10 episodes that we've had on the, of this podcast. But today we have the privilege of talking to Sonia about something that is very near and dear to her heart. But before we dive in, Ginger, can you please tell our listeners a bit more about Sonia? Sure. Sonia and her husband, John, have four daughters whom they have homeschooled all the way through with the Charlotte Mason Method. I was introduced to Sonia's teaching through Katie a few years ago. Katie has been a huge fan of Sonia's for many years, so she asked me to attend one of Sonia's workshops, which I did. And ever since then, I I've been a huge fan as well. Sonia has a special place in that very big heart of hers for parents dealing with special needs children because her youngest daughter has autism and developmental delays. Over these last couple of years, Sonia has become a very dear friend of mine and prayer partner who has encouraged me tremendously in my own walk with the Lord. Sonia Schaefer is the real deal. She doesn't just talk the talk, she walks the walk. When she's not spending time with her family or homeschooling her daughter or podcasting or speaking at conventions or running a very <laughs> successful business or encouraging her friends like me, Sonia loves to play the piano, read great books, and weave on her floor loom. But most of all, she loves to encourage and equip parents in the high calling of raising children and pointing them to Jesus. Sonia, it is such an honor to have you back on our show. Welcome. Thanks so much, Ginger and Katie. It's great to be back with you again. 
Well, before I ask our first question, I want to let our listeners in on why we chose this topic and why we asked Sonia specifically to share her thoughts with us. Ginger and I had the privilege of being on the Simply Charlotte Mason podcast last year, which, let me just say, was a huge fangirl moment for me. (laughs) And it really was. And after we recorded, we went to lunch with Sonia and her husband, John, and their daughter, Holly. And I remember just watching this precious exchange between mother and daughter and thinking to myself, This is what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This is how we are all called to love and serve our children with kindness, with patience, with forbearance, with compassion, and with joy. Now, Sonia, I feel like I know you well enough to say that you are way too humble to put yourself out there as a special needs parenting expert, but Ginger and I both, (laughs) we both agreed that our listeners need to hear from you, specifically you. Whatever encouragement the Lord has put on your heart regarding this unique calling on special needs parents. Mm -hmm. And one of those reasons is because we have been around you and your daughter several times Mm -hmm. now, and the relationship you have is just so precious. And so we knew that you were the right person uh, to talk with us about this. So, Sonia, when we first asked you to speak on something related to parenting a special needs child, you chose to talk about obedience. Why did you choose that particular topic? Well, it feels like one of the biggest challenges that I have in parenting a special needs child is trying to walk the fine line between expecting too much from my child and expecting too little. Mm. Obedience is just crucial to so many areas of life. If the child doesn't learn obedience, she could be put in harm's way physically, and she might even put others in harm's way. Plus, She's going to struggle with growing in many areas of life because if she won't obey, it's going to be very hard to teach her anything. So to me, teaching my child to obey is a priority for her own benefit. Now, yes, her language processing issues and autism can make it more of a challenge to train her in obedience, but she can learn to obey. I guess it boils down to this idea. The child's disability should not be an excuse, but it is a consideration in teaching your child how to obey. Mm. I love how you're encouraging parents to not excuse disobedience with their special needs child, but to consider how to tailor the training in accordance with the child's God-given uniqueness. And isn't that exactly what our Heavenly Father does with us? He knows Mm -hmm. each one of us so personally and so intimately that he lovingly deals with our disobedience in different ways and ways that he knows are in our best interest. That's so true. Well, Sonia, you've given us two helpful principles to keep in mind when parenting special needs children. And for the record, these principles are helpful for parenting all children. The first principle is don't assume. And the second is pick your battles. Come to think of it, these principles would serve us really well in any relationship (laughs) at all, not just parenting relationships. (laughs) True. Um, But in today's episode, we're going to look at the danger of making assumptions. And next week, we'll talk to you about picking our battles and what the consequences might look like for our special needs kids. So listeners, whether or not you have special needs children, you aren't going to want to miss either of these episodes because God has packed a whole lot of wisdom into such a petite woman. And these principles will serve to help us parent any of our kiddos. So let's start with not making assumptions. What do you mean by that as it relates to obedience in children with special needs? It's easy for me to swing to two opposite extremes. Mm 
in this making assumptions. Sometimes I swing to one side and assume that the child is refusing to obey when she really Mm -hmm. isn't. And then other times I swing to the other extreme and assume my child can't obey when she really can. So I have to Mm -hmm. be careful of assuming disobedience or a rebellious heart. But I also have to be careful that I'm not underestimating what my child is capable of. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does. Sure does. And Sonia, I know you well enough to say that I'm sure you have spent countless hours on your knees asking God to give you discernment to know the difference and wisdom for extending grace when it's not disobedience, as well as guidance for how to lovingly address it when it is disobedience. James 1.5 tells us that when we ask God for wisdom, He promises to give it to us. And isn't that very good news for parents? Oh, yes, especially when it says he'll give it without scolding us because we're coming and asking again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And again so, and again. Yes. <laughs> the same questions that we haven't learned the first time. Sonia, yep. you've given us seven questions to ask ourselves in order to avoid making those incorrect assumptions about our children. The first question is, are there obstacles preventing her from obeying? Tell us more about that. Well, I want to be clear, sometimes Holly does refuse to obey. I mean, she's human, just as we all are. But other times I've discovered that there's an issue with the situation or the surroundings that have prevented her from obeying. For example, one day I asked her to do a load of towels in the washer and dryer, and she's capable of doing that. She's been assigned to do it previously and done it successfully. But that day, I went to use the washer later on, and I saw through the window on the washer door that the wet towels were still sitting there inside the washer. So I prompted her with the next step in the process and said, would you please transfer the towels to the dryer because I need to use the washer. A few minutes later, I went to check and the towels were still sitting in the washer. So I went to her again, took her to the laundry room, pointed at the washer and told her, please transfer these towels before you can sit down and eat lunch. Okay, so now we've got, you know, we're in business here. I'm, I'm <laughs> giving her the consequence if she doesn't obey me. Well, after five minutes, she's still standing in the laundry room and still has not even moved to transfer those towels. By then, I was pretty frustrated with her. Um, to me, that, that was out and out disobedience. So I went into the laundry room again. I gave her a no-nonsense frown, and I bent (laughs) down, prepared to open the door of the washer and stand there until she obeyed me. And imagine my surprise when I tugged on the door of the washer and it wouldn't open. It had malfunctioned for some reason. I still don't know why, but it was locked, and she could not get it open, but she didn't know how to tell me what had happened. Mm -hmm. See, she couldn't obey me because she couldn't get the door open. And I was assuming she wouldn't obey me. Hmm. Hmm. So I guess the moral of the story here is that we need to investigate before we jump to conclusions. And for parents with with a special needs child with limited communication skills, they're going to have to wear their detective hat a little more often. (laughs) Well, here's question two that will help us avoid making assumptions. Is the environment not set up in a way that is clear to the child or makes it possible for her to obey? 
So what is an example of an environmental barrier to obedience? Well, sometimes a child might need more guidance or help to be successful at, a, at an assigned task or a directive given. Um, for example, yes, Holly can do the towel's laundry, but I've used stickers on the washer and on the dryer to make that path to obedience smoother for her because those stickers show exactly where she should turn the knobs so she can successfully obey when I ask her to do a load of towels. Mm. And there are other times that it seems like she might be disobeying, but then I discovered that there's really something about the environment that's causing her distress. For example, um, when Holly is called to come for a meal, she doesn't come until everybody else has cleared out of the kitchen. Now, at first, I thought she was disobeying, you know, dawdling. And I would get frustrated that she wasn't coming and the food was getting cold and yada, 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 you know. Mm -hmm. But I finally figured out that what was really happening is that when we are all home, there's six of us here. And five people moving around in the kitchen was just too overwhelming to her sensory wise. Mm -hmm. So she would wait until the coast was clear before she would come. Now, once I figured that out, that meant a shift in my thinking. You know, I was quick to assume she wasn't obeying my call to come and eat, when in reality, it was her intention to obey. Her heart attitude was to obey. There was just an environmental issue that was causing her distress, and she was trying to avoid it. Mm, I really appreciate how you looked past what you were perceiving as outright disobedience to consider how your daughter's anxiety was affecting her behavior. And then you were able to discern the root of that anxiety, which in reality, as you said, had nothing at all to do with disobedience. Mm -hmm. A third question you encourage is, does the child have language processing challenges? This is an excellent question. And although it seems straightforward, I know that all parents struggle to determine when disobedience occurs because of a true misunderstanding. We get mm -hmm. many questions along these lines as it relates to children who are not yet verbal. But can you give us an example of this with a special needs child who might be verbal, but yet still has trouble with language processing? Well, with my neurologically typical children, I always emphasized obey me right away, you know, do it immediately. And, and that's how I could tell that they were obeying me because boom, they would, they would respond right away. But with Hannah, I've had to slow down. And, and I just realized I called her Hannah and we've been calling her <laughs> Holly. <laughs> Let me explain to everybody. Um, her given name is Hannah, but she picks different preferred names on different days. And today her preferred name is Holly. So out of respect to her, I'm going to change this to Holly. But with Holly, I have had to slow down in many ways and had to adjust what that expectation of right away means for her as a person. She struggles with both receptive and expressive language skills. So I've learned that she might not respond immediately when I give a directive especially if it's a new one that she hasn't heard several times before. I might have to allow her more time to, number one, process the words, 
Number two, determine what they mean. And then number three, figure out how to make her body do what the words mean. And if there's a communication breakdown in any of those steps, I need to be ready and willing to help and clarify as needed. So I've had to learn not to assume that a delay is a sign of disobedience because of her special needs. That's so good. Mm -hmm. All right. Question number four, is there a physical problem we are not aware of that is preventing obedience? Sonia, you have a heartbreaking story from your own experience. Can you share that with us? Well, I'll share a couple of examples. Um, One that happened several years ago and one that just happened recently. First, the hard one from several years ago. Um, One night, my husband, John, was watching a TV show with Holly. And it was a regular nightly routine to watch that show and then get ready for bed. Well, when the show was over, he told her, as usual, go get ready for bed. But she didn't move. She wouldn't get off the couch. And he was pretty puzzled. You know, you start thinking, what's going on? Is this an obedience issue? What do I do? But thank the Lord, that's when he noticed that her kneecap wasn't in the right position. She Mm. had dislocated her kneecap and didn't know how to tell us. Mm. And Holly's pain threshold is sky high. It's crazy. I mean, she wasn't crying. She wasn't (laughs) saying anything. She just sat there waiting for us to realize something was wrong and what it was. So, yeah, that was that was an interesting mm-hmm. learning experience for mm. us. Um, but a more recent example of a physical, possible physical reason for what looks like disobedience is um, one day just this past April, we were we still do our homeschooling every day. She's 24 now, but um, developmentally, she's not 24 and she still loves her schoolwork. So we keep doing school every day. And this one day during math lessons, it just seemed like she had forgotten everything. Mm. She couldn't even write $59.76, let alone do any adding or subtracting with it. And she'd been doing all of that proficiently for several weeks prior. So when she hesitated and balked and didn't even write it down, I had to decide, you know, is this an obedience issue or what do I do? So, praise the Lord, I decided to give her the benefit of the doubt and I decided to try something simpler. I thought maybe it's just too too difficult for her to think this way today. So I switched to doing, we do a little daily five-minute review of math that she has learned so far. And I picked one that to me, was the lowest bar for her to jump over. This was an easy one, and it's one of her favorites. She had answered it correctly so many times and always smiled when she did. So I gave her, okay, let's just do our math review. Here's the first one, two plus two. Nothing. She just sat there. No clue, no movement, no anything. But thankfully, The Lord poured out his grace on me right there and enabled me to keep a positive, encouraging look on my face and tone of voice. And I just said, okay, well, let's set aside math until tomorrow. And we moved on to the next subject. In the past, I haven't been able to do that. In the past, I've been like, 
well, all right, never mind. We'll just do something else. And you could tell I was frustrated with the tone of my voice. But that day, the Lord just really met me at that moment. And But inside, I was still feeling like, well, fine, what are we going to do now? I didn't know what was happening. And whenever that happens, a special needs parent, um, at least I, will start to panic. It's like we are regressing. Mm-hmm. Are we ever going to be able to get that ground back that we just lost? It's easy to run into that panic mode for me. Well, later that day, I was telling my husband about what had happened. And he said, well, it sounds like she got some gluten somewhere, maybe. Now, Holly is extremely sensitive to gluten. It leaks into her bloodstream and goes to her brain and it affects it like opium. If she eats any gluten, she just spaces out. She's just gone. Oh, wow. And I started thinking back on what we had eaten during the past 24 hours. And sure enough, there was a questionable food that she had eaten at a restaurant. So I waited and the next day she was better because that food was starting to clear out of her system. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of days, she was back and we were doing the $59.76 again (laughs) as usual. Now, I say all of that because... Different children are going to have different physical challenges, but we just need to keep our radar up for any physical problems that might be preventing a child from obeying. There mm. there are physical problems that, you know, sometimes you don't want to obey because you have a headache. And that physical problem is more just a challenge Um But there are also, with our special needs kids, there are physical problems that actually prevent them from obeying, Mm -hmm. not just to make it difficult, but prevent them. So we just need to keep our radar radar up for those things. Yeah. And that's what we hear you saying is don't just Mm -hmm. assume. That's what this whole podcast is about. This episode is don't just assume, (laughs) just take a moment. Is there something, is there a reason for the disobedience here? And just thinking through that. And then that keeps us from responding in a way that's not beneficial to them. So I love that. Ginger, Mm -hmm. before you get to that fifth question, I just want to, I teared up, Sonia, listening to you, just imagining this picture of you with your 24-year-old young woman and doing homeschooling with her. That is just, again, this is why we asked you Mm -hmm. to do this episode with us because it's such a precious thing, the way that you persevere Mm -hmm. and, and you continue in something that, um, you know, for, for what length of time, who knows, but it's just, it's incredible the way that you're living out Mm -hmm. the gospel with her. Well, that's, that's the Lord. I mean, one of my prayers is, um, I think it's from First Thessalonians. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of Christ, to the love of God, and the steadfastness of Christ. Mm. Um, that's that's a key verse, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Well, it shows. It does. Yeah. It certainly does. The fifth question you encourage to help parents not make assumptions is, do we have the child's attention? Again, you know, this can apply to any child across the board, but I do know that there are unique challenges with special needs children. What are your thoughts on this, Sonia? Well, it can be a tricky one, especially with autistic children. I know Holly is often in her own mental world, oblivious to everything around her. That's that's a hallmark of autism. And when she's oblivious, if I touch her to get her opinion or to get her attention, um, she can fixate 
on that unwelcome physical contact and Mm. fixate on it to the point where she still is not going to hear what I'm telling her to do. Mm. So I just have to be aware of that challenge and try to determine when she's ready to receive and process what I am saying. You know, with neurologically typical children, we often ask for eye contact. That helps us know that we've got their attention. But for many autistic children, eye contact only increases their anxiety and makes it twice as hard to process what is being said. So I don't require eye contact with Holly. It, it just depends on the child. Um, in a way, you have to become a student of your child. Study her. Look for clues to help you determine what she's feeling and what contributed to that feeling in that particular situation. See, I would have never even considered that. With my children, it was just a matter of making that eye contact. And usually Mm -hmm. I put my hand on their arm or their shoulder to make sure that I had their attention and they were listening. And a lot of times I would even have them repeat my instructions back to me just to make sure that they were clear. Then it was just an issue of, you know, whether or not they chose to obey or chose to disobey. But all of those tips that worked for my kids would have had a negative effect on Holly. They would have caused anxiety. It's like you Mm -hmm. said, Sonia, we have to be a student of our children. All right. So the sixth question you encourage that will help us to not automatically assume disobedience is this. Are we given the directive in a way that the child can understand and know exactly what to do? Again, this is applicable across the board in parenting for all kids, but (laughs) it's especially crucial with special needs children. Can you give us an example Yeah, one spring um, recently, we went to a large outdoor botanical garden to see all these beautiful acres and acres of daffodils. And now Holly loves to be out in nature, but she also loves to walk fast if there's a clear path ahead of her. She just takes off. And I don't mind her stepping out in front as long as she stays where I can see her. So I told her, here was the directive, go ahead. Just make sure you keep us in sight. Well, the next thing I knew, we rounded a corner and she was nowhere to be seen. So I start running and John starts running (laughs) and we come to a place where the path divided three ways. Of course, (laughs) she could either have gone down this path to the gift shop and the restrooms, or she could have gone down that path leading to the parking lot. Mm. panic time there Mm -hmm. or she could have gone down the third path that was leading off to more fields of daisy of daffodils Mm -hmm. so you know three possible paths there's two of us john (laughs) and me you you can do the math you You and i can do that math (laughs) (laughs) oh i was frantic Mm. it probably probably took us five minutes to find her but it seemed like an hour Mm. i just I had to realize it wasn't a rebellious spirit that caused her not to follow my directive. It was the directive that was to blame. See, I had told her, quote, keep us in sight. Well, that was too broad. It was just too too nebulous of an instruction. Mm-hmm. She she didn't comprehend all of it or or understand how to apply it. You think about all of the judgment calls that are involved in that little phrase, keep us in sight. See, what I was actually saying was, or what I was expecting, 
was every few feet, turn around and make sure you can see us. And if you can't see us, stop and wait for us to catch up. And if you can see us, then you may take uh, how many more steps before I want you to turn around again? <laughs> see, I was asking her to make several consecutive judgment calls. Mm. And judgment calls are really difficult for Holly and for many autistic children. So I'm learning to think through any directives and try to make sure they're very clear mm. and very doable for her. I think that's extremely helpful for any child mm -hmm. as well, yep. Sonia. We have a lot of parents I know who, you know, will give a directive and it's not clear to the child. I've done it myself mm -hmm. with my kids on many occasions. Mm -hmm. It's not clear to them. And then I have to deal with the fact that, well, do I discipline because they disobeyed or do I regroup because my directions weren't clear? So that, that's extremely important to, I, I'd rather overstate in that, in that <laughs> instance. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, last question. Have I broken down directives into small steps to ensure it's not overwhelming? And have I practiced with the child until those steps become habitual? Now, Sonia, I guess that many of our homeschooling listeners at least have heard of your company, Simply Charlotte Mason, and have possibly heard of your habit training curriculum called Laying Down the Rails. And we'll have Heather put a link to those resources in the show notes because they are so helpful in training our children to learn good habits. And you have a version for adults as well, for parents. And I love that. And my husband has read it as well. We're big fans of that. Uh, but I love this quote you put in your book from the late great educator, Charlotte Mason. And here's what she said. The things we do a good many times over leave some sort of impression in the very substance of our brain. And this impression, the more often it is repeated, makes it the easier for us to do the thing the next time. We know this well enough as it applies to skating, hockey, and the like. We say we want to practice or are out of practice and must get some practice. But we do not realize that in all the affairs of our life, the same thing holds good. What we have practice in doing, we can do with ease while we bungle over that in which we have little practice." I just love the wisdom of Charlotte Mason. And I really love quoting Charlotte Mason to Sonia Schaefer. That's my new favorite thing. <laughs> okay. So now that I've let Charlotte establish the importance of habit, can you please help us understand the relationship between habits and obedience, particularly as it applies to special needs kids? Well, it sometimes works well to break down a directive into small steps to make sure that it's not overwhelming. And then you just practice, practice, practice each of those mm. steps until it becomes a habit, a part of the child's routine, if you will. When an action becomes a habit, and that includes the action of obeying a specific directive, you know, that habit is actually a relief to the child. It's mm. easier for the brain to simply run that habitual program without requiring a lot of that mental strain and effort of decision-making or even processing. And what's interesting is that once an action becomes a habit, it almost causes more stress to stop doing it. Hmm. For example, Holly's responsible to do the dishes for a certain meal every week. So one week she might be doing the lunch dishes each day, and another week she might be doing the supper dishes. Well, when Holly has a cold, and I know she's not feeling well, I mean, she, she can't blow her nose, and so it just, yeah, 
you you can tell mm-hmm. she's just feeling miserable. Mm-hmm. I'm inclined to tell her, you don't have to do the lunch dishes today, sweetie. I'll do them for you. But she bristles against that idea because it is a change to a settled habit. That mm-hmm. settled habit gives her peace. So the more we can make regularly occurring directives into habits, the more our children will experience peace and a sense of accomplishment and success, knowing that they did what was expected and they did it well. Now is the part of our show where we give a quick tip for parents. And today's quick tip is courtesy of Sonia. So what quick tip do you have for us today? All right. When my kids were small, they would bring me a stack of books to read aloud, which was great. But sometimes they would get into arguments over which book we were going to read first and which one we're going to read next. And then we would spend all of our reading time just refereeing that argument. So I started putting the books into ABC order with the children's help. I would just fan out the stack of books they had brought me so we could see the titles a little more easily. And we would start singing the ABC song really slowly. A, B, C, and I would pause at the letter if one of the titles began with that letter and point it out. It'd be like, Curious George starts with C. Move that book to the top of the stack and then go on singing the song. C, D, E, F, Ferdinand starts with F, put that one next, and so on. And it solved the bickering. And, hey, it gently introduced alphabetizing at the same time. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Brilliant. I think any parent who is able to solve sibling conflicts while teaching them something educational at the same time should be given a master's degree in parenting. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a quick tip for our show, we would love to hear from you. It can be any random tip about cooking, housekeeping, something you do with your kids, ideas for fun date nights with your spouse, anything at all. We would love to share your ideas on the podcast. Just go to gingerhubbard.com slash quick tips to submit those. Thank you again, Sonia, for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Can you remind our listeners where they can learn more about you and your resources? Sure. You can find them all at simplycharlottemason.com. And we have a podcast, the Simply Charlotte Mason podcast, that you can find on YouTube or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Excellent. And we are big fans of your podcast. So be sure Very to check big that fans, out. Yes. And listeners, we'll Thank be sure you. to put links to those things in our show notes. All right, Sonia, can you please leave us with a final word of encouragement? Well, I don't want to give listeners a false impression that I've got this obedience thing all figured out and I never jump to wrong assumptions. (laughs) Girls, I make mistakes all the time. I give unclear directives. I get so focused on my agenda and what I want done right now that I neglect to look at things from Holly's point of view or even notice what might be preventing her from being able to obey. Sometimes I forget to stop and determine whether I'm requiring her to do something she cannot do or that she will not do. And there's a big difference between those two. Now, I guess what I want to say is we won't always know the answer. We will make mistakes. But the issue is not whether we make mistakes. The issue is whether we learn from those mistakes, whether we keep growing 
and learning and trying to understand our precious children better and better as we go along. And now when I realize that I asked Holly to do something that for one reason or another, like we've talked about today, she can't do, that she can't obey, I simply apologize. I just say, I'm sorry, I didn't explain that very well. Or, I didn't realize you were having a hard time with words today. Or, I didn't know the washing machine was locked. You know, we make Mm -hmm. adjustments and we move on, hopefully a little wiser and a little more dependent on the Lord to guide and sustain and pour out his grace on us both. So I guess the main thing I want to say is don't beat yourself up over past mistakes. Take a good look at them, see what you can learn from them, and then put them behind you, out of sight. Quit fixating on them. Move forward with your eyes fixed on Jesus and his loving gaze and heart of endless compassion and steady hope. You move toward what you focus on. So focus on Jesus. Mm. Amen, sister. Thank you, Ginger and Sonia, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And while you're there, could you leave us a rating or a review? This is a huge help to us to get the word out about our podcast so that many other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. Do you have a parenting question? Well, we invite you to submit it at gingerhubbard.com slash askginger, and we'll do our best to answer it in a future episode. And while you're on the website, you can find our show notes, which will include links to anything we mentioned in today's episode. While you're on gingerhubbard.com, you can find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering her parenting book, I Can't Believe You Just Said That, Biblical Wisdom for Taming Your Child's Tongue, at a 10% discount when you use the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com. Ginger also offers a free discussion guide for this book on her website, which is great for book clubs and small group studies. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, be sure to follow her on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. And you can connect with me on Instagram at Katie in a Corner. That's K-A-T-Y in a Corner. Ginger and I would love to lead a women's event at your church. If your church might be interested in hosting our women's conference or bringing Ginger in for a parenting conference, please fill out the contact form at gingerhubbard.com and we'll get back to you with more information. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God.